Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan, a reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday, 2 to 3 p.m. William Liu is on vacation in parts unknown in Canada. Actually, I think it's Banff. Um, so go find him if you want. I'm filling in as host. I'm your host, Alex Wong, for this week and next week. And I've got a bunch of guest co-hosts joining me in studio for the next six shows and we got to start with scarborough legend the scores joseph Cacharo, joe cash what's good man everything's good man i, I it still gets me every time the hbk theme song when I, <laughs> I come it's just the greatest honor yeah what is this hbk by the way history uh sean michaels this was your favorite wrestler yeah, when i was up. a kid it was, it was my favorite wrestler also i think i was the only kid in canada that was team hbk instead of team bret hart ah uh, that's right uh you as a purveyor of early 90s and mid 90s wrestling really love that fact so you have turned me into hbk when i come in the studio i cannot come into this studio without alex teeing up the hbk no. theme song no we can't and also you're the scarborough legend you know I, you know the scarborough shooting stars have been getting a lot of buzz because of jalen harris uh please sign my jersey and j cole and i've seen a lot of people shouting out scarborough legends and and i feel like everyone's been neglecting the only Scarborough legend that you should acknowledge, and that's Joseph Cacharo. Grew up, grew up at Bamberg Circle. Was that your earliest memories of Scarborough? Uh, I mean, the neighborhood in general. <laughs> wasn't I know you're what are you trying to get a Sam Wu shot out here? What's going on? Yeah, we have uh, we have eaten. You know, we've established too that you're a friend of the community. You know, this is the other label that you have. And I was thinking about it. Like all the meals that we've had have have been at great Chinese restaurants. Uh, Sam Wu barbecue recently, yeah. Hong Shing. Shout out Hong Shing. Yeah, shout Chef out to Colin. Colin. Yeah, yes. shout out to Chef Colin. Uh, gave us some private personal dishes. You know, this is the type of clout that we're going for. But yeah, no, I just wanted to show you. And everybody should check out the Pound the Rock podcast at The Score. My Appreciate favorite you. NBA podcast. You guys are doing great NBA finals coverage right now. So everybody go go download that. And, and anything else? Did I miss anything? No, I think we're good. I mean, we did have one Italian meal together. I do want to throw that. It wasn't just, <laughs> just so we just so we're good. I, was, yeah, I, did, I do want to clear that up. But other right, than, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, like yeah. 95% yeah, yeah, of yeah. Our we had some truffles, meal. you know, threw some truffles on some pasta and stuff like that. But yes, you know, the other thing was you were at our live event. Will, Will and I had a live event recently and, and we did, uh, you know, bring up, you know, friends of the program, including yourself. We did an Asian Heritage Month draft. The other thing we were going to do was... Raptors players as dim sum items, which we didn't get to. And you did tell me off air a really great one. So, uh, you know, I cede the mic to you to describe this one. Yeah, it's that uh, Gary Trent Jr. is Zhao Long Bao. Because <laughs> for anyone who's uh, had good dim sum, you know that those soup dumplings can be so good, but they can also burn you. And I think that's Gary's game in a nutshell. Um, the, the Raptors needed his shot creation and his audacity when it came to his shot creation and his uh yeah i think audacity is a good word when it comes to his willingness to shoot and be ready to shoot and sometimes to force things and it carried them through a lot of times right with their half court struggles and stuff. but we also know that you know it can it can burn you that style of play so gary trent jr Xiao long bao in the raptors players as dim sum items draft Yo, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, they definitely brought out the Shalong Bao a little bit lukewarm to start that Philadelphia 76ers series. But on to the basketball that's happening. Game three of the NBA Finals last night. The Boston Celtics won 116 to 110. The Warriors scored 
11 points in the fourth quarter. And then Boston is now up 2-1 with game four tomorrow. First of all, thank God there's only one off day. It's the only, this yeah. is the only uh, part of the finals where there's only one off day. It's between games three and four. Yeah. Every other game has two days off between it. Yeah. Now, this is nothing new. Like, we know the finals are always spaced out over two weeks, but... I don't know why this year I've decided to just complain about it a lot. I just feel like when you have a certain pace and rhythm to the NBA playoffs, listen, I get it. It's, it's you know, the media availability. You want to promote the game, all this stuff, half the off days, et cetera. But I don't know. I, I want to see these teams play every other day. So I think more so than I, I agree. Yeah, like promotion has a lot to do with it. Sure. But I think the biggest part of it and the best part of it, as much as it's a drag to have to wait the extra yeah. day, is the quality of basketball. Sure. And maybe it hasn't always played out in this particular series. There's been some sure. blowouts and stuff. But in general, I think that is the idea. Yeah. In addition to like some other stuff, I think it's the quality of basketball, yeah. right? The extra day, guys can rest. Right. Some, when there's travel too, that yeah. extra day can help. And the more days off, if like if it means fresher bodies at yeah. this stage you, at the end of the day you want the finals to be decided by which team is better right and not by which team is maybe more, less sore or something yeah like but that. i kind of so, want that i kind of want that war of attrition all right you know i, mean, I, I feel like it gets physical I this time of year and stuff i didn't know it was coasting with charles oakley we were talking <laughs> 90s ball like yeah i've had a very uh, 90s slant recently actually i was talking to will about this because he didn't start watching basketball until the early 2000s. And he's been going on YouTube watching some of these 90s rivalries like between the Knicks and the Heat and, you know, the Bulls against every single team. I'm of the mind that the basketball, I feel like I'm getting old now because I'm saying this, but like I'm of the mind that the basketball was better. No, no. I have converted. My bad. I can't My believe bad. this is what you brought me in to talk about to just completely blindside me with this. No, man, the basketball was not better. Look, Draymond, I think Draymond said it pretty correctly recently when he was talking about like guys thinking that the game was tougher and blah 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 in the 90s there were a few guys that were enforcers and this and that but like first of all i don't think from player one to player 450 it was necessarily tougher but i definitely don't think it was better like i just think i think the skill in the game now is so far beyond what it was i and, agree with you and maybe that. some of that also is just like modern advancements yeah. in technology and rest and sports science sleep recovery like all of that but I think when you add it all up between the star talent in today's game, the depth of star talent in today's game, uh, modern advancements in recovery, like all, I think I think the game is way better now than it was then. Mm -hmm. um, I guess it also depends on what you like. Like if you like Smash Mouth 78, 75 basketball sometimes, then, you Maybe know, I who do. am I to judge? Yeah. It's a little weird, but <laughs> who am I to judge? Well, I didn't know I was blindsided. You're acting like you're Marty Jannetty right now in the barbershop, and I just kicked you through the window wow. with that take. I thought I was a <laughs> But no, I think for me, I completely agree with you on the skill level. Like, I don't think that's even close. But I think the thing I gravitate more towards to back in the day was I just, I really do feel like the, the rivalries were better. Like when you think about, and, and trust me, I know I'm, I'm really aging as, as, I, as I give this take, but like, I don't know. I just don't feel the rivalries today. And I don't know what, what that is a mechanism of. I wonder if it's, and I don't want to be, now I don't want to sound like right. the old but, guy but who's like, like, the players are all friends. But yeah. I do wonder how much of it maybe even is like the social media factor. The, and play, the, the, the player movement too. The player movement, the but player also movement. the accessibility of players. Sure. Like I feel like players are so much more accessible accessible in certain ways. I'm not sure. saying, you know, you can go talk to them on the street, but accessible from like a social media standpoint. Mm -hmm. I feel like players are more accessible in a way and maybe in some almost fake way, more relatable, whatever it is. But yeah. I feel like when we were kids, like the game ended, you know, or like Pippin 
Pippen tells Carl Malone, the mailman, don't deliver on Sunday. Yeah. And you hear that post game, but then you're not hearing from them until like the next game, other than their post game availability. You're not seeing them tweet about stuff. You're not seeing them go back and forth on sort like whatever the case is. I just feel like maybe, I don't know, maybe the the kind of mythology around them was built mm -hmm. up a bit more because you saw and heard them less. Like I, sometimes I wonder if that's just it. Yeah, and and that played into it more so than the the fact that they actually disliked each other more. It, it, it maybe just seemed like that to fans because you you didn't see them constantly interacting the way we do now. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It's kind of like you know we, we make all these wrestling references. It, it's like you know the players are breaking kayfabe these days. You know, just yeah. being on social media yeah. and talking to each other. My thing, and I think that hits on a really good point for me. My thing is like things you should just get settled on the court. Like like when I think about. Like the Sixers were upset about like Pascal Siakam throwing the elbow at Joel Embiid at the end game four. And then there were so many comments and Joel Embiid was still talking about it in the second round when they were playing Miami. My thing is like, if you're so upset, that should have been settled on the court. Agreed. Yes. Your teammates or yourself. And, and that's like one scenario, right? And, and, and I think it's just for me, like, I know this is like moving to, to another topic too, but it's like all the reviews of the flagrant fouls and stuff now, like it's like every breakaway, they have to review it now. And like, you used to just let the teams play. And that's how, like, I think these rivalries would manifest too. And it's like, the Knicks and Heat, like, legit hated each other. Yeah. And I'm trying to think back, like, the last time, probably, like, Kevin, I know Kevin Garnett and the Celtics, like, they still have a pretty healthy hatred for, like, LeBron James. And that's, like, really the last time I can remember two teams actually, like, disliking each other beyond yeah. just on the court. Yeah, I so. hear you. I, I think it's good that in some ways things aren't settled on the court anymore. Like, I don't want guys getting clotheslined every other play. Sure. Were, like, the risk of injury was a lot greater then um, due to, like, stupid stuff like fights, not in terms of the actual right. game. You don't want guys getting clotheslined or punches thrown every other game in a playoff series yeah. or a coach holding on to a player's leg right. during a scuffle the way Jeff Van Gundy did yeah. in that famous Knicks Heat series. But, like, there are some things where, yes, I do agree with you. If you've got a problem with a guy throwing an elbow, if you've got that much of a problem with it, then do something about it when you're still there. Don't talk about it a week later when you're not playing that team anymore. That I agree with. You. Yeah, I'm just trying to, you know, swim my way out of this clown take uh, that apparently blindsided. <laughs> this doink to clown take. <laughs> Joseph Cacharo of The Score. Subscribe to Pound the Rock. All right, look, game three. You look at game three, you know, the Celtics came out, got off to a really good start, double-digit lead. And again, the third quarter was, was when the Warriors made their comeback. But, you know, Steph was in foul trouble all night. Uh, Draymond Green, which we will discuss at length, um, you know, about his podcast as well, I believe, put up a 2-3-4, and four, the 2-3-4 kid. Um, wow. And, and uh, the Warriors only scored 11 points. What's your, um, what's, what's your takeaway from, from not just last night's game, but through three games in this series? Like, what, what are the big takeaways for you looking at these two teams? I think the Celtics are bigger, more athletic, fat. Like, there are a lot of things you can point to that the Celtics have advantages. Now, the Warriors have Steph, and they have this, what can be an extremely high-powered offense. It hasn't yeah. always played out that way. The Celtics obviously have a great defense. But I think what stood out the most, especially in Game 3, but as the Celtics have built this 2-1 lead, is that they are just this bigger, more athletic, faster team. I thought Game 3 was the game that they looked the biggest because Robert Williams III had the most impact he's had in this series. And it's something actually my Pound the Rock co-host Joe Wolfon and I at The Score were talking about in our most recent episode about Game 3, and that was that Robert Williams actually isn't huge. He's 6'8". He's not, he's not a traditional big man, like, physically. But the way he plays, he plays bigger than that. Vertically, he's always in the air, as, as Wolfon mentioned in the podcast. So 
I think game three was the most Robert Williams-like game, and he's also hasn't been healthy the whole playoffs. And when Robert Williams is playing like that, because he plays so big and so much bigger than his body is, the Celtics do have a really big size advantage in this series. Case in point, like, the Warriors have been exploiting teams on the offensive glass all playoffs, which is strange because they weren't a great rebounding team in the regular season, but in the playoffs, they've been great on the offensive glass. Game three, that was not the case. Games one and two, Boston only rebounded about 71% of their defensive rebound opportunities. Game three, the game where Robert Williams looks more like himself, they rebounded 84% of their defense. So they cleaned the glass way better. Robert Williams was the big presence they need him to be, and the Warriors just don't have an answer. I mean, like I was saying last night on Twitter, I think Kevon Looney's probably their best bet in terms of someone who can actually play kind of as big. Yeah, only 17 minutes last night. Right, but he's not as good. He's not as effective. He didn't play as much, which I thought Mm -hmm. was strange. I thought Kerr should have given Looney more of a look, especially when Draymond was as ineffective as he was. Like, that was... Draymond was unbelievable in game two. Mm-hmm. Game three was as ineffective as I've ever seen him in a finals game no, and maybe no, ever yeah. in a playoff game. No defensive impact at all. Yeah. Like I saw guys like Jalen Brown, everyone was just straight driving by him and there was just no presence there. And yeah. it's interesting because like you talk about the Warriors, you know, having Steph and like in theory, potentially a high powered offense. When you look at that roster, like Clay Thompson had the best game of his series of the series last night. Man, I'm looking at this Warriors team, and I know it's just, I think it's human nature to compare this Warriors team to previous Warriors teams. They, they don't got enough two-way players. They don't, like, for the first time to me, it feels like in a playoff run, and maybe they've been exposed more in this series because clearly they won the first three, they're in the finals. Steve Kerr's just searching. Like, Steve Kerr's just searching, and you mentioned, like, Kevon Looney only playing the 17 minutes. Like, it felt like he went more with the small lineup, especially in the second half, you know, played Jordan Poole more, but... I mean, Jordan Poole's not giving them that much in this series right now. He's not. And to me, that's the X factor. And I came into this series thinking Jordan Poole was the X factor because to your point about the like defense stuff, Jordan Poole's a defensive liability, Mm -hmm. like by far. Yeah. And his ability to impact the game is because his offense has been so great all season. He's he has been, for the most part, their second best offensive player on a team that's now in the finals. But when you look at this Warriors team, when you look at what Klay Thompson is at this stage of his career, through no fault of his own, the guy's had two major, like, catastrophic injuries. Mm -hmm. He missed so much time. He can still have his moments, like you saw last night. Mm -hmm. But Klay Thompson cannot be expected to consistently be the player he once was. Andrew Wiggins, who I think has been great for them, even in the finals, and who can create his own shot in a pinch and all this, still, there's a consistency factor there when it comes to his offense Mm -hmm. that you cannot expect from Andrew Wiggins, right? As... If you wanted, say, to him be like the second option on a final scene, like that's not happening. Jordan Poole is kind of the straw that stirs the drink in that perspective because if Jordan Poole's on and playing his best offensively, mm-hmm. the Warriors' attack looks as high-powered as ever, right? Because now Clay can kind of just do what he does. Wiggins is like the third or fourth option and, and can really do damage in that role. But if Jordan Poole's either not playing well offensively, like last night in game one, or if he's just being played off the court because his defense is so bad, the Warriors' offense can really start to look a lot less dynamic and way too Curry-reliant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what's happening here. Poole just hasn't been good enough, and so their offense looks nowhere near as dynamic as it could be. And then on the defensive end, you know, if Draymond's not playing out of his mind like he did in Game 2, there are some defensive question marks too. Yeah, and Steph was limping after the game because because there was that, you know, there, he was diving for a loose ball late there in the fourth quarter, and Al Horford landed on I I think it's a foot injury that he has you know Shams reported today that you know he's expected to be good doesn't need 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 an MRI you know I think unless Steph really can't go out there he's he's going to be playing in in game four in the rest of the series man I don't know man 
things feel kind of dire for the Warriors right now. Well, and they're, they're hunting Steph, too. Like, game three last night, the Celtics were just abusing Steph's defense. Like, they first couple of games, they'd get the mismatch, but they'd kind of hesitate on it. It was mm-hmm. strange. Game three, when they got the mismatch on Steph, they were attacking him. Marcus Smart did it early, and then Jason Tatum did it throughout the game. Like, Jason Tatum had plenty of times where he, re- he they had a screen, the Warriors yeah. switched, Tatum ends up with Curry on slow, him. Slow down at on the, complimenting Jason Tatum on the, the show, okay? He ended up with, with Curry on him at the three-point line, like, time and time again, and just every single time mm-hmm. backed his butt down. From, backed Curry down literally from the three-point line to all the way under the hoop and mm-hmm. scored on him easily. And this happened at least three or four times, like... If, if they're going to be able to target stuff like that, yep. if Poole's not going to consistently be the, like, you know, secondary scorer they need him to be, if Draymond's not going to be out of his mind defensively every game, like, then they are in trouble. And especially now that they're down in a series, like, they got to win three of four now, right? Yeah, they, Celts, they are up yeah. against it. Celtics haven't lost two in a row in, in these playoffs. And I don't think they've lost two in a row in, like, five months. Yeah. And, you know, the Warriors going to have to beat them two in a row at some point. They got to win three out of the next four, basically. I don't know, man. I'm thinking back. I think the two series people always point to is when, you know, 2016 when they were down 3-1 to the Thunder and made the comeback. And the 2019 series against the Raptors uh, in the finals. <sighs> this feels more dire. You know, at least with the Raptors when they were down 2-1 and they eventually fell down 3-1, you know, you, you had in your back pocket Kevin Durant potentially coming back. And obviously Stephen Clay, different version of them at that point. And I felt like in that series too, it reminds me a little bit of Draymond. Like Draymond had a lot of trouble handling Pascal Siakam and the Raptors in that series. And I feel like he's been reduced in in this series as well. Like if if you're looking at it from the Warriors side, like what is what is like your reasons for optimism going into tomorrow's game? Because I, I hate to say this, but through three games, Boston's just a better team. Boston <laughs> yeah, looks like clearly the better team. And it's one of those things where they've gone to seven games with Milwaukee. They somehow inexplicably went to seven games against Miami, even though I felt like they were clearly a better team. Maybe they'll have another self-inflicted loss because that's the one thing with Boston. Every time yep. they've gone up in that series, in these series, haven't seen that kind of killer instinct, yep. that kind of punch, right? And and maybe they'll bring it tomorrow. But if I'm looking at the Warriors, I just I don't know how many answers they have on this roster right now. Yeah, I think I think if there's one thing you can, and maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think you can count on from the Warriors' perspective, it's that there's no way Draymond Green is that bad again two right. games in a row, at least defensively, right? Like. But if you are talking about comparing the Warriors right now to previously dire situations, they're not as good. Like, full out. Yeah. They're, they're not as good. Team. Like, if you yeah. consider the team that went down 3-1 to OKC in 2016, right? Yeah. They won that was a games. 73-1 team. That was a 73-1 yeah. team. The loss in Game 7, obviously, to the Cavs in the finals. But mm. that team was better than they are now. They were younger. They were, like, they were more in their prime. Draymond has always been somewhat of an offensive liability. But he's a different level of offensive liability now. Like, mm-hmm. And especially against a team like the Celtics that can switch the way they do. Like, they, they're they not scared of Draymond's playmaking the way previously teams have been and the way teams were three, four, five years ago. Um, th- there's just a lot of reasons why the Warriors are in a more dire situation now, but a lot of it boils down to they're just not as good as they once were. And uh, it's not even through any fault of their own. It's just, you know, time goes by. Clay isn't, like I said, Clay's not the yeah. same player. Now, I think they can still hit quite a ceiling when pool's on, when... Clay's playing decently when right. when Wiggins is bringing the two man game when sorry the two way game when Draymond's as good as he can be defensively. Yeah. But like you need but you need a lot of those things right. to be clicking exactly. And there yeah. it's less certain all those things will be clicking today than it was three four years ago. Yeah, no, it's 
It's looking tough. I, you know, I will say though, like, so I picked the Warriors coming in this series. I'm not going to back down on it yet. I mean, it's yeah. still a two one series. I picked they're them right? in five because I hate the Celtics. Okay, yeah. well, no, I picked them in six, and I almost <laughs> picked them in six. Like, it, it wouldn't have surprised me if this went seven. Sure. Right? But what I do want to say is, like, if say the Celtics do win, or even if they don't win, the fact that they're this close to winning a championship, yeah. they're two wins away. Look at this team. Like, I I can see they are a great team. Don't get me wrong. They're yeah. unbelievable defensively. They've been the best team in the league since like New Year's. Yeah, that's enough. But yeah. but no, but seriously, yeah. look at the roster, right? Yeah. Um, look at the fact that they were under 500 at one point in January. Mm-hmm. And when you, even if you're being positive about all the good things about the Celtics, I think you could still, even a Celtics fan would have to admit, and you look at this roster, that if they were to win the title, this would be like one of the worst championship teams, at least like on paper or yeah, the way I'm they're constructed <laughs> in recent memory. Like I can't okay. remember when. And so what I'm getting at is when you consider how close this Celtics team is to a championship, when you consider that in the last four years, I think there's been seven different finalists now, with the Warriors the only team appearing twice since right. 2019. And you compare that to other eras in NBA history. Really the only other time ever in the 75, 76-year history of the NBA that we've seen this kind of parity and, let's say, championship accessibility instead mm-hmm. of championship exclusivity was the mid to late 70s, when it was like the Bullets, the Warriors, mm-hmm. the Sonics. So... While I know, especially for Raptors fans, yeah. they hate watching the Celtics be this close, I do also think there's a silver lining in it, not just for the Raptors, but for a lot of teams in the NBA right now that are very good, that maybe in previous eras, very good still wouldn't be anywhere close enough to sniff mm-hmm. a title. Mm-hmm. I think in this current era of the NBA, I think very good is actually pretty darn close. Yeah. And so I think there are a lot of teams that can look at where they are, whether it be one piece away, a coaching change, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm that are way, way closer to truly being able to convince themselves they can win a championship, then teams of that same quality would be like five years from now, 10 years uh, ago, 20 years ago, right? Like, we're in a very unique situation. I think the Celtic, this Celtics team being as close to a championship as they are is the perfect evidence of that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And like, even thinking about in the Western Conference as well, like, you look at this Warriors team, like, talking about how they're not the same. I think a lot of teams in the West... Can, can look at going into next season. And I'm talking about teams like, you know, the Clippers who are in the play-in. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get Kawhi back healthy for a full season. You know, Denver, if they can get healthy. There's a lot of teams um, in both conferences that can really talk themselves into being that close to taking the next step. Because the Celtics thing is a really good point. They were Jimmy Butler shot away from being eliminated. And, you know, I don't like doing the what-ifs with, with the injuries, but if the Bucks were healthy, you know, I'm looking back now, you know, in, in retrospect... Like, the fact that Giannis almost beat this Celtics team, like, is actually really impressive to me. Like, the fact that he took them seven games. So, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you. I think, I think, and it's not, like you mentioned, it's not to take away no. from this Celtics team. It's just more like the the level of competition now. Yeah. And, and the parity that exists the, in the league. It's, and it's great, right? Like, mm-hmm. as much as we know that the NBA has thrived in in eras where there's been a dominant team mm-hmm. that you I think it can work both ways. I think when there's a dominant team, whether it's the Bulls in the 90s, the Warriors a few years, like I think that can work too in terms mm-hmm. of fan interest and wanting to see someone slay the dragon. But I also think there can be a lot of fan interest this way where you can look at a team like the Celtics and be like, hold on, wait, that team is is going to win the championship yeah. in or could win the championship in the league that's supposed to be the most championship-exclusive league? Like, yeah. things are turning here. Yeah, because the disparity between when when the Celtics win and lose in the playoffs is pretty stark to me. Because when they lose, like, I think the formula is pretty straight now. Like, they take dumb shots, they throw the ball away. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
I feel like all of their losses, especially the last couple of series, just feel so like self-inflicted. Yeah. Like them blowing the game at home in game five against Milwaukee, like them unable to close it out in game six against Miami and then the end of game seven. So yeah, no, I'm completely with you. The, the, the other talking point that we have to get to because, you know, it's daily radio and we love to scrape, <laughs> scrape for content. Draymond Green was, you know, asked after the game <laughs> by, uh, by Jake Fisher, I believe. Um, shout out to Jake Fisher about whether, you know, he thinks, um, you know, Draymond's been recording these podcasts after every game, uh, whether, you know, he's giving away X's and O's and, and Draymond seemed to take exception to it. So Draymond actually released his his podcast today, uh, you know, recapping game three. You know, I should have just played his podcast for the full hour. So we've got the clip here. Here's Draymond talking about all the chatter about his podcast. I'm sorry that this podcast is probably doing better numbers than yours, but or your attempt at doing a podcast, I I ain't the one listening. I mean, so, you know, there's other people listening, so be mad at them. But y'all going to get this podcast. Win, lose, draw, hoisting the trophy, putting my ring on my finger, you name it, y'all getting this podcast. So keep talking, blah, blah, blah. Enjoy your news cycle tomorrow. Be great. And then make sure you listen to the pod. <laughs> so is this, I guess this plays perfectly into your theory about, you know, the way the game used to be in the 90s. Because <laughs> there used to be a time when a player would say, like, after a loss, like, you know, you're going to get this work. Y'all going to get this work next game. Right. And now we've got players saying, right. well, win, lose, or draw, you're going to get this podcast. Like, it's yeah. quite, quite the discrepancy. But, I mean, I don't know, like... I don't think this has anything to do with no, why let's, Draymond... No, let, let's be clear. Yeah. I, I'm just here to kill five minutes. Like, I, I, I do not think that Draymond recording a no. podcast... And, like, he did, he did go on to say, he's like, you know, I finished the game, got my treatment, I'm in my hotel room. It's like, these guys have lives, you yeah. know, outside of basketball. And, like, even though it's the NBA Finals and it's the biggest stage, it's not like they don't live their day-to-day lives when they're finished playing basketball. Yeah. Right? I also find it hilarious that whether it's us or the media fans or, like, one of my biggest complaints from when I was a kid, when I was just a fan to now that I'm in the media was that players rarely give fans, media, whatever, like any sort of inside the game access, knowledge, whatever it is, like look behind the currents kind of stuff, especially when it comes to X's nose. And now we've got a guy like Draymond who I've said before is one of the most brilliant basketball minds I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Along, like Right now it's him, LeBron, Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul, Maybe Nikola Jokic for me that are like the five smartest mm-hmm. players in the league in terms of pure basketball. Like you, Draymond's just brilliant. And he's willing to share a lot of that knowledge when it comes mm-hmm. to the X's and O stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Even when he's on TNT panel or whatever, like yeah. he's just so good at it. And if so, it's kind of funny to me that now a lot of the same people that wanted this kind of stuff are now being like, well, I don't know if you should be doing it in the middle of the finals. Though. It's like, no, I, I think embrace the fact that Draymond's willing to share it. And also, again... He's a pretty brilliant basketball mind. He's not giving up anything on a podcast in the middle of a finals that he actually thinks is going to lead to some, like, aha moment for the Celtics. He's, or, he's you, too smart. He's too smart ex- for that. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you really think he's going to share anything that might lead to the Celtics' game plan in yeah. Game 4? Come on. Yeah. No, Chris Chioza should start a podcast. I'm sure he's got some stories. I actually pulled up the charts. So, in Canada, basketball podcast. Oh, Raptor Show's fourth now? Come on, guys. Come listen to us in the offseason. Low Post is number one, Zach Lowe. Draymond Green Show is number two. Old Man in the Three is number three. Listen, Draymond's doing numbers. And we talk about wrestling, too. Dennis Rodman missed uh, a practice during the 98 finals and showed up on Monday Night Nitro. 
they, in another city. They were worried <laughs> that they were concerned as to whether Dennis Rodman, one of their most important players, would be available for a game in the middle of the finals because he was away doing wrestling. Yeah. So don't talk to me about... That's right. 90s was better. About That's whether Draymond doing yeah. a podcast in the middle of the finals is like <laughs> distracting or detrimental or whatever. No, um, I'm completely with you. And I was just thinking about this just now. Steve Kerr was part of both of the, those yeah. teams. Man, He's seen it all. Steve Kerr, when you consider Steve Kerr's place in NBA history, like mm-hmm. he truly has been a witness to history like few others in basketball. Yeah, so he was the MJ era. He was with Tim Duncan. Yep. Right? And then he... Co- he was on the Suns, right? Yeah. He was the GM with the yeah. Suns. Yeah. He's so, the one that broke up the seven seconds or less Suns. Yeah. He made the Shaquille O'Neal and, trade. He was their GM, I believe, when they, they got to the West Finals and lost to Kobe's Lakers in 2010. Right. That, that kind of Cinderella run the Suns went yep, on where yep, like yep. Artest When Artest shot, shot that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Passed to Kobe. That, that, remember yeah, that, that damn. Artest rant? Yeah, he's seen it all. And now so, the Warriors. Yeah, now he's coached Curry, uh, was with like the KD Warriors. Mm-hmm. Like, because he was with the Warriors, was like you know coaching East LeBron in the finals, was part of the three one comeback in the yeah. finals. Coaches seventy three went to, like he's touched every era from the ninth from the early nineties, early mid nineties until you know the early twenty twenties. Yeah, Steve Kerr has been a witness to NBA history like no one else. Damn, shout to Steve Kerr. All right, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, let's talk about Pat Riley's comments on Kyle Lowry's conditioning earlier this week, and I have a couple other around the NBA topics with you. So we're going to take a quick quick break here. I'm your host, Alex Wong, joined here by the scores, Joseph Kasharo, and you're listening to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Forever, baby. Yo, there are some things worth missing practice for, brother. And, then, oh, and that's definitely the NWO, brother. Hey, we're just too sweet. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The fan. I'm your host, Alex Wong. Still joined by the scores, Joseph. Sharo. Cash, we went golfing recently? Yes, that's right. And um, yeah, how would you uh, review, uh, you know, my golf performance? It was my first time out on the course in like three years, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't great, if we're being honest. It was, it <laughs> I, was, shot, I shot a 115. Yeah, it was better. I shot a 117, so you did beat me. But I think you were shook by how close to my poor level of golf skill you were. Because, no, I knew we were at the same I mean, level going in. You know, your dad is an expert and an instructor. I figured you would have at some point over the years picked up some lessons no. um, from the old man. Yeah. Uh, and it turns, out, it turns out that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> you Damn. are a lot worse than your dad is. Damn, and, why, why did I bring this topic up? I thought you, I thought you were going to Although like, it was know, pretty cool nice that, things. what was it? We were on the, like, the 16th hole. We were probably both 100 shots in and we were literally <laughs> deadlocked with... With That's two right. and a half to- holes to go and ended up with our second shot in literally separated by five feet. So we were like 100 strokes in each, yep, yep. deadlocked through 16 and a half yeah. holes and through two shots on the 16th hole. Right next like, to each right other. Right next to each other. Yeah, it yeah. was pretty cool. We were fighting for relegation. Made, made for TV mode. Yeah, no, nobody cared about that. Um, so, you know, you and Joe Wolfon do such a great job on the Pound the Rock podcast. Everybody should go subscribe, covering topics around the NBA. I know you guys 
you know, deep down are, are Raptors fans. But, you know, when, when you put on your journalism hat, you know, your professional hat, you got to cover different topics around the league. So I thought for this segment, we can go through some topics that have come up this week around the NBA. I'd love to get your thoughts on them. And the first one, I'm surprised Will didn't talk about this on Tuesday when he was in, but Pat Riley, Pat Riley's end of season press conferences, always uh, speaking of must-see TV, always must-see TV. People might remember Pat Riley calling out LeBron James as he was heading into free agency um, back in, what, like what, 2014, mm-hmm. I want to say, and basically telling him to not to run from the grind and telling him that championships are really hard to win. This was after they lost to the Spurs um, after seeing them in the finals for two straight years. So Pat Riley had a lot of comments and, and maybe of particular interest to Raptors fans. Here's what he had to say uh, when he was asked a question about Kyle Lowry's conditioning. You know, Kyle had uh, a challenging year for a lot of reasons. And uh, I don't have to get into them. They're personal. They're, they're other things. But he had a challenging year with the move and and, and everything uh, earlier in the season with uh, he had some injuries, missed some time, and then there were some personal issues. But look, at the, the bottom line with me and for me, uh, as far as uh, hoping that you can get the most out of a player, I don't have to go back and, and talk about it, is that you got to be in world-class shape. You just have to be, and and uh, that is something as you get older, there's a point of diminishing returns as you get a little bit older, that when you're younger, you can, you, know, you can do things in spite of that. But I'm not saying that when he was younger, he wasn't in the kind of condition that he was in this year, but he definitely is going to have to address that, and uh, it will be addressed. And to get to what the perfect, you know, overall conditioning for him to be successful because he plays the game, you know, in a manner where he needs his strength and his size. You know, he's uh, he's not, you know, he's not Tyler Hero. He's, he's not that lean kind of guy, but, but I think he can be in better shape. And, you know, and I do believe that the pain of, of losing and the reminders that you send out about this, uh, you know, might change his mind a little bit. But I do think that uh, that he can be in better shape next year. And, you know, we'll address it and we'll try to help him as best as we can because it's not easy when you get a little bit older. So, you know, I'm going to get your thoughts on this, obviously. But I just want to say I've always said that, you know, heat culture to me is basically just a copycat of immigrant culture because they preach, you know, working hard. And in this case, you know... Asian uh, dad. <laughs> especially with Asian parents. They love to talk about their kids' weight. Um, love, love to always talk about how they're eating too much. But then if they go home, they're not eating enough. So I'm not surprised, you know, Pat Rally is here to talk about his starting point guard's conditioning. Um, you know, the one thing I, I think we should separate before we talk about Pat's comments is like right off the top, he did acknowledge that Kyle had a really difficult season personally. You know, there were personal issues and he left the team for those reasons for an extended stretch during the regular season. But at the same time, when you sign, what was it? Three years, 90 million around there. And you're expected to compete for a championship because that's what the Heat are trying to do right now. Uh, I think it's perfectly fair for, for Pat to, you know, have those comments because everything that he says publicly, he's going to have these conversations with Kyle privately as well. 
And it's very consistent with what they expect in, in that Miami Heat environment. And honestly, this is not the first time that Kyle's conditioning has been talked about during his career. So what, what are your thoughts hearing Pat Riley's comments? I mean, on the whole, I agree with him, right? And again, to your point, Riley, it, this was not him throwing Kyle Lowry under the bus or being insensitive to the season Kyle Lowry had. He very plainly put out there that he does understand there were some like personal issues. He missed a lot of time with that. It's not like he was saying this is your fault, Kyle. But mm-hmm. he was also pointing out the fact that the Heat need Kyle Lowry to be in better shape or better condition, however you want to phrase it, to compete for a championship. Full stop. That's what it is. Now, you can... I understand the the argument that the Heat made their bed and, and now it's up to them to line it because if you include this year now, Kyle Lowry over the last four years has missed an average of 20 games per 82 contest. So they full well knew what they were getting into when they signed Kyle Lowry at this stage of his career. I think the one thing that's different is usually he can miss that time and get himself right for the playoffs and then we know what Kyle Lowry in playoff mode looks like. The difference this year is that he missed, what, eight of 18 playoff games. So I think you can also say, well, the Heat weren't signing up for that. They knew he'd maybe miss a quarter of the season on average with various, you know, nicks and bruises at this stage, but they weren't expecting him to miss half the playoff games. That's one. Um, I know that, look, we all love Kyle Lowry. He's the greatest Raptor of all time. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a champion. Like, no, you should be able to acknowledge multiple truths, okay? And I think this is one of the problems with the way we talk about basketball or sports in general now where people seem to be like, well, no, I like this player or this guy was the best player on the team I root for and therefore how dare you ever say anything even legitimate when you're criticizing Mm -hmm. him. You should be able to acknowledge multiple truths. Kyle Lowry is all of those things, I said, and, and that's why people in Toronto and Canada and around the NBA love him for being the competitor that he is. Pat Riley is not above criticism, okay? As much as I... And anyone who knows me or has followed my work knows I do joke around about loving Pat Riley. He's the godfather. It's a and all Shawn this. Michaels level of you know, uh, I was, admiration. I, I was very yeah. upset when Adrian Brody was cast as him without me being consulted <laughs> once. But no, I'm, but he's not above criticism, okay? Even the great Pat Riley has made mistakes. Look at the Duncan Robinson contract. Look at the way he handled LeBron James' exit. Uh, look at the way Dwayne Wade's first exit was handled when, when mm-hmm. Pat Riley botched that relationship with a franchise legend. It was then salvaged, but... So I understand all that. I'm not at all here to say, well, if Pat Riley says it, it has to be true. He's not above criticism, and Larry is great for all the reasons I mentioned. But all those things can be true. Those things can be true, and it's true that they need Kyle Lowry to be in better shape. When they are on the hook for, I think, $58 million over the next two years, mm-hmm. and they are very much in win-now mode, this is not a building thing. You're like They're trying to win a championship right now. The fact of the matter is, they need Kyle Lowry to be in better shape from start to finish next season. That's it. And so I do not understand, other than just if you want to say it boils down to like being a fan and fandom at its core is being irrational, mm-hmm. if, unless you want to boil it down to that, I really have no idea why everyone was crying about these comments. So like, is it really that shocking to you that NBA executive wants NBA star they are paying $58 million over the next two years to be in better shape? Like, no, that that's pretty par for the course in pro sports. Yeah, and I think if there was a player, if the Raptors signed a player for three years and $90 million and, you know, the player was not in shape and it needed to, you know, clearly needed to have better conditioning, you know, I think I would expect the same conversation to take place and across, you know, any other team. Um, and trust me, I, I get fandom works in a particular way. Uh, that's why I refuse to acknowledge Jason Tatum as a top 10 player. Still believe it's a just a slightly better version of Paul George, but um, no, I'm with you. And and I think Pat Riley's done this before. Is all I gotta say. And like 
the other context is during that press conference, because I know this was a clip that got a lot of attention, he called out Tyler Hero. He said, if you want to be a starting player on a winning team, you need to be a two-way player, right? And I think he, he mentioned Bam had to be better offensively, right, too. Like. Right, And, like, Bam had a terrible series against Boston, in my opinion, outside of, you know, I think the game three when he did really well. But I think that coincided with Robert Williams not being in the lineup. So, no, I'm completely with you. And I think if you're rooting for Kyle Lowry, you would want to root for him to, to, to get in shape. And actually, <laughs> in this latter part of his career... Even though, you know, as age is catching up, as injuries, you know, I'm not writing off Kyle Lowry because I think one of the reasons why Miami brought him in is he doesn't need to do as much as he was being asked to do for most of his tenure here in Toronto, right? There's a reason why they have all of these other players with Jimmy, with Bam. And, you know, when he is healthy, he's still, like you mentioned in the first segment, one of the highest IQ players in the league. And even if he's physically diminished, he can still impact winning at a very high level. And I want to see Kyle back at that yeah. level next season. And I think the evidence that he wasn't in the bet, whether it's sh- like he was injured at the end too, right? He mm-hmm. hurt his hamstring. Now there are a lot of people that will tell you those kind of soft tissue injuries have to do with conditioning too. Sure. Right. And like, but I think the difference this year, like I was saying, not just that he also missed playoff time in addition to the regular season time, but it's that he wasn't able to be as all around effective as he was in the past when his offense was gone. Like, how many times in the playoffs with the Raptors or at various points of stretches with the Raptors, even during their championship run where mm. his shot might abandon, or not even that his shot would abandon him, but he would be unwilling to shoot or like he would kind of lose confidence in his shot. And it, I won't say it didn't matter, but it almost didn't matter because he was doing so many other things that impacted winning. And I think the biggest difference this year is other than maybe a game or two here or there in the playoffs, he wasn't doing those other things at a high enough level to negate the fact that his own shot had kind of abandoned him again or that he wasn't looking for his own offense. And again, that all plays into he's got to... It's not just that he has to play better. He needs to be better conditioned from start to finish. As Pat Riley said, and to your point about anything Pat Riley's saying in a public setting, he's probably telling a player to his face, I'd be willing to bet a lot of money on the fact that Kyle Lowry was not blindsided by this. Okay, like he very much was probably told this to his face by Pat Riley. And if Lowry being the guy that we know him to be in the years we've covered him, I would bet that Kyle Lowry probably agrees with Pat Riley. Like I I just don't see this in any way, shape, or form as Riley throwing Lowry under the bus in ways that a bunch of Raptors fans seem to believe it was. Yeah, and Kyle, Kyle knew when he signed with Miami that this is the culture and this is the organization that, that he's, he's walking into. Um, next topic, one of my least favorite topics. So Donovan Mitchell, so Quinn Snyder uh, this week, you know, mutually, uh, you know, parted with it, the You Utah know what? Jazz. It wasn't even mutually because he just left. Like yeah. Danny Ainge came out and said they... He was they, desperately trying yeah. to keep him. Yeah, but... So he wasn't let go. Did he technically resign? He did, yeah. He okay. like, so he resigned. He decided after, I believe, eight years, you know, in Utah that it was time to go. And there's been a lot of changes in Utah ever since they, you know, got, got their new ownership. Uh, Dennis Lindsay, their executive, moved on. Danny Ainge is in there now. Dwayne Wade is part of the ownership group. And Donovan Mitchell, after, uh, you know, the Quinn Snyder news, and it was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski that he's unsettled and unnerved by what is taking place, um, you know, with the Jazz organization. Uh, so this is classic case of a... Uh, player i was gonna say star player but you know i don't i don't want to throw out the word star that you know a player uh soft launching uh his his trade request in my opinion did you read it any other way no that's exactly how i saw it uh on pound the rock on our nba podcast yes check that out we 
uh, I will usually throw out something like called Pound the Rock Fraud Alert. Right. And this, this, the alarm bells were going off for this one. This was right. Fraud Alert all over the place because I'm not saying Donovan Mitchell's a fraud, just to clarify that. I'm saying this particular um, wording and all the fact that he was unnerved or unsettled or whatever, to me, is the fraudulent part of this because one, there were reports for weeks about Quinn Snyder considering his future, right? Mm-hmm. And if there were a report for weeks that we could see, I find it hard to believe that the star player of, of the franchise guy or one of their two franchise pillars had no idea this could potentially come. Mm-hmm. Um, the writing was on the wall with respect to the Jazz starting to be broken up this summer. Yep. So if, if Donovan Mitchell wants to say, hey, I'm disappointed Coach Snyder's leaving because I had a great relationship with him or I wish he would have stayed, I get that. But I don't buy that he was unsettled, surprised, unnerved, whatever the case may be. I agree with you. I believe that is him planting the seeds so that when he, you know, whether it's this summer, next summer, whenever it is, when he eventually asks out, he can use this as one of the things to point to. And he won't, it won't just have to be, well, I want a bigger market. He can, he can play it off. as like, no, it's just, come on, man. Look, look at the direction of the franchise. Our coach just left. I don't know what's I just happening. Wish I players, I just, just wish be they, honest. I just wish they wouldn't play these games. And then I get why, you know, they they have to do that and like through their management and through their agent. But like we're, we we live in such a transparent era now that I feel like it's just so easy to see through these things. Where if if you want out, I, I, you know, jazz fans are going to be upset regardless. Yeah. You know, re- regardless of how you approach this trade request, he should just be honest about it. And you know, Utah reminds me a lot of um, you know after Tillman Fertitta took over the Houston Rockets and you started to see parts of the organization. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you saw like Daryl Moore eventually left, right? You know, James Harden eventually, and, and now they're in a rebuild. I feel like that's where Utah's heading. Um, Talk would, about fraud alert. Yeah, <laughs> but, but would you bet, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, are either of them on the opening day roster? 2023, 2022-23 season. You know what? I'll, I'll pour a little water on the fire and say that I would bet they both are only because us trades of that magnitude are talked about more than they're actually executed. Sure. So and, Mi- I, and Mitchell has like three years left right. on his contract. So I do think that one or both of them will be moved within the coming years in the near future. But if you're asking me to bet, like, will it happen this summer? Just by playing the percentages of the fact that star trades are usually talked about more than executed, I'd say I'll count on them still being on the roster when the season starts. I wouldn't be shocked if they're not. I think they will be, but I think a trade will come sooner rather than later. You know, I, I, within yeah. the next year, maybe. Yeah, I just think they need to go ahead and if, if there are offers that make sense to them to kind of flip the roster around. And also, I don't want to hear this many reports about Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and the Jazz. You know, I don't I don't want to get a weekly update on this. I just don't think I just don't think they're of that stature and magnitude that I need to hear about every step of the way. Just let me know when the trade happens. Do a Darren I, Williams where the trade just happened. I I do think that both players have their faults. Mm-hmm. I think I think both players are kind of in a downturn right now where like people are maybe forgetting how good each player is because of the way things are going in Utah. And because of the way, especially in Mitchell's case, the way he's played a hand in that with how terrible his perimeter defense was this year. But yeah. in general, I think both players, maybe they're not as good as people once thought they were at their peak, but I think they're both better players than people are now giving them credit for. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, last thing I want to run by you too. So Darvin Ham was introduced as, as Lakers coach earlier this week, and he had some really good things to say about Russell Westbrook. Don't, don't get it messed up. 
Russ is one of the best players our league has ever seen. And there's still a ton left in that tank. I don't know why people tend to try to write him off. I'm going to approach him like I do every player I've ever encountered. We're going to talk about our running habits with the ball, without the ball. And again, the, to the, the team, the, the rhythm of the team and, and trying to establish a rhythm with LeBron, Russ, AD. So, yeah, and any truth in the things that Darvin Ham is saying? I mean, yeah, is Russ one of the greats at his absolute best, like a member of the 75th anniversary? Like, sure. of course, but does he have a lot left in the tank? No, I don't think so. I think, it, I think for the most part it's run its course here, and it will be very tough for him to be effective. I think Coach Ham is saying all the right things right now, but it's also June, and I'm sure that him and Russ will mm -hmm. continue to say all the right things probably until training camp. But let me see it in November and December. Is Russell Westbrook actually going to become a more attentive off-ball defender? No. Is he going to become a better off-ball offensive player? Probably not. Like it would, still, go, it would go against everything that he's right. done in his so, career. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I don't think just yeah. a new coach in the same setting is going to solve everything. But you can't fault him for trying. You can't fault a new coach for trying to put that message out there. No, that's fair. Uh, Ten seconds, so quick, quick answer from you. Do you think LeBron will appear in another NBA Finals in his career? Yes. Okay. Damn. Damn. All right. Well, listen, Cash, really appreciate you coming on. Joseph Cacharo of The Score. Again, everybody go subscribe to the Pound the Rock podcast and check out The Score's YouTube page, Score app, all of that stuff. That does it for us today. Tomorrow, I'm going to have actor Ennis Esmer, comedian Tom Henry come in the studio. It's going to be the most Friday, Friday Raptor show ever. I've been your host, Alex Wong. You've been listening to the Raptor show on Sportsnet 590, The Fan Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And please subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can be above the Draymond Green Show in the charts. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, airing live on Sportsnet. 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. Thanks again to my guest, Joseph Cacharo, our board producer, Derek Brandeo, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. I'll talk to you tomorrow.